Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined here by my co-host and star of this show. It's Bob Schaefer with Touch Em All. This is episode 280 on the network. Uh, before we bring Bob in to start the show, just want to thank our 50,000-plus subscribers, 74 countries, grassroots MLB front offices. Because of your support, we are now the newest podcast streaming network on iHeartRadio. Thank you for that. Continue to stream us on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, but let's flood that iHeart to let them know that we're serious about attacking the podcast world analytics, just like we do in baseball every day on these shows. So with that, uh, Bob, welcome back to your show. Thank you. Looking forward to another one. Yeah, we're getting close to playoff time here now, but had a lot of questions this week. We always do uh, from our guests with all the shows, but particularly they uh, they they get excited about your you're the way you deep dive into the X's and O's of baseball and the mechanics of baseball. So we have a lot of those today. And I know we're a visual show, but uh, we'll do our best to paint a picture for our audience of, of the answers to some of these questions. So any, yeah, anything that you are baseball? Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. I appreciate the questions because this way it tells me what they really want to know or what they don't understand. Or and We went over all the techniques at one time or the fundamentals, but uh, to have questions, I think it really helps the situation. And a lot of people sometimes think it's a stupid question, but there's no stupid questions because the game is complicated and you got new rules. And uh, I'm not 100% positive about some of these rules, but I think I know understand them. When I was coaching, I knew every rule. But now, it's, you know, you got the game a little bit twisted and uh, I think we can do it, though. Yeah. Yeah, they, they tend to change the rules, do experimental rules, and they go for some levels, not the others. And But uh so the first question we had, and, and, and I clarified this with the question asker this morning to make sure that that's what they wanted, but they wanted to know the old school way when you were allowed to break up double plays, what were the mechanics that you taught a base runner to properly break up a double play at second base, we'll say? Well, first of all, uh, when you're breaking up a double play, you always slide to the side that the ball was hit. In other words, hit the shortstop, you slide to the left side of the base because the pivot man when the ball's on the left side, shortstop or third base, he's usually coming across the base. And it was hit to the second base when you slide to the right side of the base because the shortstop's coming across the base that way. So what you want to do is you want to go with your bent leg slide, which is, to me, should be used almost all the time. So you slide a little bit late, and your technique is to, uh, as you go in, you don't spike anybody. You bend your leg, your front leg, your top leg, and you're trying to go shin to shin. You try to hook, you know, what you want to do, you try to hook his back leg, which is right leg, because that's the leg he has to have in order to make a decent throw. So you slide a little bit later, and you go to the side of the base, but you have to be within the base. you got to be able to touch the base with your hand, otherwise it's interference and you're out, and the guy first is out. So you used to go like a shin-to-shin, I call it, and just try to hook his, his shin or maybe his top of his ankle just to get that leg off the ground so he has no push-off. And... Uh, you know, the defense for that, for the infielder, would be to, you know, get rid of the ball quick and jump in the air. Sometimes you jump over the runner. Sometimes you jump in the air. If you get hit, you're not going to get hurt because when you fall down, you're not going to get hurt. The only time an infielder gets hurt is when uh, he's on the ground, stable, or, you know, sta- stable down the ground, and they have a collision, and that's when your ankle, your knee, or something get hurt because there's nowhere to go for it. But to me, they changed the rule, which 
took a lot of skill away from making a double play. I mean, a good infielders had a lot of skill in doing that. Now they've had guys playing second base and even shortstop that had bad body control. They had lead feet, I call it, and they got away with playing her because they didn't have to jump and get out of the way. But, uh, again, it was like – it was a technique. I mean, some players uh, – like I, I guess uh, McGriff – I mean, uh, Hal McRae was probably the toughest guy. He was uh, were afraid when he was on first base because he would – you know, he was really good at taking guys out, and he really was – annoying and scary for a middle infielder. But that was a technique. And a lot of teams won games because they took out the second baseman or the shortstop and avoided a double play. But, of course, the rule's always been in there. I think Tejada was the guy that broke his leg, but he was wrong. I mean, he tried to make a double play on a ball that was not a double play ball. And uh, I think uh, Utley might have been a runner. He should have been out anyway because he's out of baseline. And it's not – and the baseline is you have to be able to touch the base with your foot or with your hand Anything too far to side that you can't do that, your illegal slide anyway before the new rule is put in play. So that that was what that's the technique. You go shin to shin, slide a little bit later, so you can hook his right foot, take away his you know stabilized foot to throw on. And if the, the uh, infielder was good enough, he'd be up in the air, so you might hit him, but you wouldn't do any damage, or you wouldn't have, you know the ball was already in the air, you already threw the ball. Yeah. I think two key points too, for our listener, you answered the question perfectly um, to, to, I mean, the ideal thing is if, if it's a bang, bang play, you clear yourself uh, either to the inside of the diamond behind the diamond or back, I guess, towards uh, right field. Um, or any, I guess any, any, any way there's a flat surface on the diamond you can clear. Um, but when it's a tight play like that and you got to get up um, t- and I guess we're talking defensively here, I was going through this with my boys the other day about, catching versus uh, almost knocking the ball down. When, you, when you're receiving the ball as a double play, uh, the guy receiving the ball at second base for the double play, what's your, uh, I guess, what's your technique, what's your teaching point to them in terms of not the lower half but the upper half of their body when that ball hits their hands? How do their hands look? Are they catching the ball? Are they just knocking it down into their bare hand? What's the key for a quick transfer? Well, first of all, getting back to that, uh, when the ball's not hit that hard, to the middle infielder, to the left, you know, like shortstop or third baseman. Now it's going to be a bang-bang play at second. So the second baseman has to use the base for his protection. Now, now therefore, he's got to get onto his left foot and, you know, put a glove. I mean, he's got to give you a glove as a target. And the infielder should ball to the, throw the ball to the left field side of second base. So now he can catch the ball, step off with his right foot, and the base for, use the base for his protection. In other words, for the runner to hit you, he has to go through the base. So you're kind of protected because he's going to hurt himself before he hurts you. But uh, the other part, what was the other part you said about the, the upper body? The uh, a lot oh, of these yeah. nowadays are not forced to. There's not a. There's we talk about feet. Feet are the most important. Um, but as far as the hand transfer, I see a lot of catching of the ball again because they don't have to. There's no fear of safety there because they're protected. But um, my sons were asking me. We were we were doing quick toss yesterday, and I uh, they kept saying every time that ball comes to you, you get you get almost a glove, like there's a hood on the ball and you're just knocking it into your hand. And I didn't realize I was doing that. And they're like, what, why are you doing that? And it's like, that's self-preservation. And then I, I started talking them through, you know, getting rid of the ball quickly as a second baseman. But what's, what's some teaching points for the upper part of the body, the hands, getting that ball from glove to hand? Um, yeah. Well, for the pivot man, uh, the secret of being quick is to move before you catch the ball. So therefore you need a good throw. Like I said from the beginning, yeah, it takes a good throw to make a double play. But anyway, what you do is catch it, and I always like catching on the left side of my body, and I'd make a little circle. I'd catch it, 
you know, bring it down, bring it back and make a little circle. And wherever your hand goes, or I mean, wherever your elbow goes, your hand goes. So I always try to keep my elbow close to my body, make a short circle with my elbow and follow through with my hand, releasing the ball. But you have to take a little, uh, make a little circle rather than bringing the ball back over your right shoulder. Because you bring it back over your right shoulder, then what happens is uh, you're pushing the ball. You're not getting anything on the throw. Now, people say it's going to be slow, but it's not. You can make a quick circle. But at that time you're doing that, you're grabbing a ball, grabbing two seams, and so you can make an accurate throw to first base. Yeah. No, I, I like that. I think it's good that we gave, I guess, the, the question asker a few more answers than, than they asked for, but I think it was all-encompassing for them, and they needed that. But I like the shin, the shin. That's a great teaching point. I'm going to steal that phrase. I steal one phrase from you every show, so I, I love that. But you okay. can't do it now. You get you get thrown off. You can't do uh, it anymore. <laughs> it's, it's, I, I'm, I'm hopeful it's coming back. I'm hopeful. I still, I, no, I still I'm hopeful a lot of these rules come back. That three batter minimum, uh, you know, the ball four, just wave your hand to first base. I mean, you know, that's not baseball. Those are speed up rules that didn't work. So now you get speed up rules that work. Get rid of those stupid rules. Yeah. Well, I still teach the uh, at our practices when we do sliding the shin to shin. I'm going to use that phrase though, but teach teach the similar concept. I tell the kids, you know, in the games you can't use this. We got to go in, you know, to the bag. Uh, but I said keep it in your back pocket because at some point in time it's going to come back and you guys are going to be ready to survive. So let's I think move. It's smart. I think it's smart to teach them now because someday I know you're a great teacher and some of those kids are going to go farther and farther and higher and higher in baseball. So hopefully it'll, it'll come back and they can they can use it then. Yeah, or at the very least, they can teach their kids some days if it takes that long to come back a generation. Let's let's move similar similar concept. I know the rule has changed as the catcher uh, with the catcher position and sliding in the home plate, but uh, you know because I think it was Buster Posey. Um, but, but again, I, I think his. When I look at that. I don't want to disparage a, a great catcher in his body position, but I want, I want you to talk about before we get into sliding at home plate. And again, let's let's go. I guess it's same now, but. How would how is a catcher supposed to position themselves at home plate with a play at the plate, um, foot position, upper body position, um, and then we can get into how to we'll call it take out a catcher, kind of like we did at second base properly. Well, the proper technique could make an attack at home plate, and now the new rule says you have to give them a lane to slide in. In the old days, you never could block the plate without the ball, but when you get the ball, what you do the proper technique is for the catcher to put his left foot down aiming toward third base. So your foot is straight. If you go sideways, then you can wreck You know, the guy hits you, you're going to hurt your knee. So it goes straight ahead where he hits it. And it's kind of a, you know, almost like a stable base, so to speak. But that was a technique. Once you get the ball, you put your left foot down, block the runner off, and he'll slide into you and, you know, bounce off you, so to speak, so he can't hit the plate. But again, the rule has always been you can't block the plate without the ball. Now, Posey, he was a great catcher, but he was in the wrong position. He didn't get his foot angled toward first base. He didn't step, it wasn't toward first base. So he got hit sideways, his leg was sideways, and that's where he got hurt. So, of course, they changed the rule because of him. I was a backup catcher somewhere, and I never would have done anything about it. But, you know, part of, part of baseball is there's a little collisions now and then. And, uh, you know, when, you, when you're coming home like that as a bang-bang play, you try to slide around a catcher. He might get the ball out front, and by the time he brings the ball back, you might do a little hook slide home. Some guys dive in home plate. That's like diving out of your hotel window. I mean, that's dangerous. He's crazy doing that, but <laughs> that's how they slide nowadays. But anyway, you should do a hook slide. Uh, you got a choice of knocking the catcher over. Depends how big the catcher is. <laughs> I didn't knock too many catchers over. I know that. But what I did, I did a backdoor slide. And a backdoor slide, to me, 
You run out to catch it like you're going to knock him over. Then you veer off to the right, to the right side of base. You slide past, past home plate. You spin around and touch the plate, the back of the plate with your right hand. So now the catcher gets the ball. He puts the tag down where he thinks you're going to be, and all of a sudden you're not there. So if you do it, and it's not hard to do, it's a bent leg straight in slide, only it's to the right, probably two body lengths or two body widths. And you spin over quick and touch the back of the plate. It's called a backdoor slide. So if you can do a hook slide because you get in there before the catcher gets the ball, or I mean after, you know, you can slide around a catcher, that's one thing. You can knock him over and take your chances there, knocking the ball loose. Or the best thing to me is a backdoor slide where you make it look like you're going to hit the catcher. You veer off to the right, and you flop over real quick and that with your right hand, not your left hand, because you don't, you, you don't want to leave your left hand exposed where he can tag your left hand. You want to slide past him far enough away that so if he comes down on one knee or whatever, he can't reach it. But then you go in the back door. And uh, I did that one night. We are playing in Dubuque, Iowa. And Ted Simmons was on deck. And I came in and did a backdoor slide. And he never saw that before. And Teddy picked me up. He said, that was awesome. That was awesome. And he almost killed me because, you know, how strong he is. Yeah. But uh, he never saw that before, I guess. But that's something that George Kissel used to talk about. We used to work on it. When I ran a my lease with Red Sox, we worked on all those slides. And you don't use it that often, but when you do use it, it's very effective. Do you have a list of the slides that you, you worked on over time? We can cover that on one of the shows. I'd love to go through that with you. Well, well we did it once, I think. But basically, it's a bent leg straight in slide. Yeah. That's the quickest way to the base. Then off of that, you do a hook slide where the top leg you know, drops back and you hook the, slide, hook the side of the base. And then the other is a pop-up slide where you're going to be safe. You, you put bent leg straight in. You lean forward and you pop up and ready to go to the next base. And the other one's the backdoor slide. So we used to put four bases out there. First one's straight in. Next one's pop-up slide. Next one's hook slide. And last one's a backdoor slide. Do it on grass where you slide. And we did that in the minor leagues many times. Guys who couldn't slide real well, we just kept practicing until they knew how to slide. In those days, not many people dove. Uh, a lot of good players die, a lot more dive now than ever. But to me, it's only because they don't know how to slide bent leg, you know, straight in or hook slide or whatever. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I think we de- we definitely covered them in another show. What I may do is I may do visuals uh, for our audience and put them on social media with, I may use one of my, my sons to do it and put your words underneath it and maybe give our audience a visual of that as well. May, may, may do them good. Did you work every day in spring training? I could probably walk them through it, but that'd be good. I mean, I think, you know, you got to see it. I mean, first of all, to learn, you got to feel it. Second of all, you got to see it to really picture it. It's stuff that listen to someone or even read something, but it's good to see it in person and in action. Yeah. You, you do as good a job as any coach I've been around as, as painting a, a word picture with these. I'm impressed every time I throw, I, it's just our audience knows I throw questions at Bob sometimes the night before, like I did last night from, from you guys. And it's three, four five words. And I'd say 99.9% of the time I get the answer back. I got this in some capacity, <laughs> um, which I, I'm not surprised by at all. But um, okay, so as far as as far as I know, we can't do this now. But as far as taking the catcher out, is there a technique that you ever taught where you say, "Hey, there's going to be a collision"? I know we can, again we can't do it in baseball. Not hopeful it comes back because sometimes the catcher has to move into the way of the base path to receive the ball, and uh, it can't be an automatic save. How do you, how, how, did you ever teach protect or how to protect yourself in a collision situation or how to properly do it? Well, the catcher, yeah, I mean, if he's going to get hit, you know, you got to get the ball. Secure the ball with your hand. Use your glove as a little protection. And sometimes you might put a tag on a runner, like, you know, maybe push him. He's coming after you. Maybe you have to go after him a little bit. 
and give them a little shot. But you got to have a stable base. And uh, like I say, you can have your knee so your foot is facing where he's coming from rather than sideways so he can't hurt your knee. But, Just so uh, the audience understands that when you mentioned it with Posey, Posey had a horrific uh, break of the leg and his, his, uh, the side of his leg was facing the direction the runner was coming. And we don't have to be an anatomy expert. Your leg doesn't bend that way. And <laughs> that's why, and you, you properly teach like, you know, guys coming from third, we I teach uh, Tanner's my son that catches point your foot right down that third baseline. When that ball comes in, tuck your chin, keep that ball tight and you're tagging with, with two hands and a body. Um, but now when he learned catching, it was when he was younger, there was still potential collisions at the plate, but I still haven't gotten him out of that habit. I, I, I don't think I could, I don't even know if he knows the rule. I could, I don't think I can break it to him. I think he just, it feels like he's had some luck the last few years with nobody colliding with him. Well, I guess, I don't know if the rules they play were the same as the major league rules, but uh, the rule is now that, you know, a runner can't go out of his way to get the catcher, and the catcher has to give the runner a lane to slide in. In other words, he can't block the complete play. He's got to give him a lane so he can slide. But the same token, the runner can't slide into the catcher. He's got to slide into the base. Yeah. With younger kids, their body control is a little less. I think sometimes it happens unintentionally. All right. Um, but, uh, okay, that was, that was good for the audience with the catching part of it. And that we got the, the safety part with the, the leg with Buster Posey in there. So move, move over to first base now. We had a question on first base. Little, uh, probably even more technical, but uh, a little less contact here. Base runner now is returning to first base on a pickoff move. So a potential pickoff attempt to first base. Um, how do you promote getting back to the bag? I know we talk about not diving sometimes. That may be a case where you, where you may dive. Well, first of all, when you lead off the base, you know, I see a lot of guys do this wrong. When you lead off, your toes should be even with the back side of the base. The right field side of the base should be aligned from the you know, tip of that base straight to second base, and your toes have to be in that line. So when you get back, the quickest way, quickest way to get back is a crossover step and a dive. And to me, the only time you dive into a base is when you get back to a base, not going into the base. But when you're getting back to a base, you have to dive. So you get your lead, usually about three slide steps, three and a half slide steps, and now it's a quick pickoff move. You've got to cross over with your right foot and dive and hit the base with your right hand. And when you hit the base with your right hand, you want to make sure you hit it with your palm of your hand and your elbow is on the ground. Now, if your elbow is to go and your hand goes over the base, your elbow is in the air, you're liable to get tagged hard and you're liable to hurt your shoulder. So slide and then, you know, slide along the ground. Make sure that your hand goes on the outside, right field side of the base, away from the tag. Now, the reason you slide and lead off with your toes on the outside base so that you, when you get back, you only have to turn 90 degrees to get back, and you're sliding away from the tag because the first baseman getting the uh, throw from the pitcher, he's going to come down and, you know, the whole front of the base toward home plate is, you know, you don't want to slide into that area. Yeah. Now, a lot of guys slide, uh, lead off first base, and they get inside, you know, toward home plate more than they should. And now they get actually turn more than 90 degrees, get back, and they're basically sliding into the tag. So the uh, first baseman slaps the tag down. As you're going for the base, he can hit you. But if you stay outside, right field side of the base, cross over and dive, one step and a dive, that's the best way, the quickest way to get back. Yeah. I like that d- distinction to dive back into the base, uh, not not into a base. That's a good – That's a good. Yeah. Uh, that's the only time you should dive into a base when you're going back to the base, not when you're running to the base. But – the game has changed a little bit. A lot of guys are diving more than ever. You got the oven mitts on, and to me, they should be illegal because right. it extends your hand. But 
So far, they, they saved some fingers, I guess. But diving into a base, when the other day I was watching a game, the guy stole second base. The second baseman dropped his knee and actually hit his head on the guy's knee and reached over him so he was safe. But it was a very dangerous slide. I mean, you got fingers and elbows and wrists and shoulders exposed, and it's not good. And that swim move, I don't see that work too often. Yeah. Well, put your body in a contorted position. It's uh, and let's. I want to. I want to skip around a second. You, you mentioned something. The second base. Second baseman dropped his knee um, on the the tag play at second base on the steal. Ex- explain that. What, what was he doing? Um, how is why is that important? Because that that's a great technique for a second baseman. Well, the way you're supposed to cover the base is straddle the base. Okay. Well, this this second baseman did that. He straddled the base and then he dropped his knee. Once he got the ball, he just dropped his knee so that. His knee was right in front of his whole lower leg was right in front of the base right. coming from first base. So now he knew the guy was a diver. Now if the guy was a uh, feet first slider, he wouldn't do that because he's likely to get spiked. Yeah. Even though the runner's not trying to spike him, but if you're in the, in the middle of the base, blocking the base off, he's trying to get to the base. You might get spiked. But the divers, you know, there's a drop the knee, maybe both knees, and you got to slide through them, and you're going to get hurt, or you're going to be out. So, I mean, it's just good technique for the infielder because there's nothing that says you can't. But, again, you straddle a base, take the throw, bring it down, and then he just dropped his knee and his whole leg, actually, and lower leg, and the runner was – he was safe, but he was lucky he was safe. I thought that we, we were watching the Yankees the other night. We, I saw Glaber do that, and uh, that was a question my son asked Tanner. He goes, why didn't he just come in cleats first? And uh, – prevent that and, and i found it odd too that at second base where you have no padding on they allow you to block the base but at home plate they won't let you do it yeah i know well some of the rules are you know don't make a lot of sense but yeah. it's all about safety now basically it's all about safety and uh I, I don't know it's just too bad it take a lot of skill out of the game because because a couple guys got hurt and they got hurt because it's their fault it wasn't the runner's fault so to speak i mean like i said when Udley hit that shortstop uh he should have been out anyway because it was a legal slide. He was way off the base. But it was never a double play possibility because it was a slow hit ball. And he was, you know, he had to get out of the way sooner than he should have got out of the way. But anyway, that's that's whatever damn right now. But but another way to get back to first base, if it's not a real quick move, I believe that two steps, like a, a long step with your right foot and a kind of a leap with your left foot, and your right foot goes backwards toward home plate, I mean toward right field. So you, you leap over, leap with your then go with your right foot, then you leap with your left foot, and you, you know, you, and your right foot comes back behind you, so it goes almost well, actually in foul territory. Now after the wild throw, you're ready to go to second base. But you know, just like the shuttle run, when you're a kid in school, you have a shuttle run, you have two races, like maybe ten yards apart, maybe yep. five yards apart. And the quickest way in a shuttle run is to take long strides, and you know, because it's short distance. Now a long distance, when you're running and sprinting. You might take short strides to get moving, then you take long strides. But a short distance, you take long strides. So if you get back to the base, you take a long crossover step, then another step with your left foot, almost a leap, and your right foot comes back around behind and goes into foul territory toward right field. So you're safe, you just hang on there, but you got to be under control, of course, so you stay on the base with your left foot. And you kind of swing it open like a gate? Is right. Like a- okay. I mean, yeah, I see guys go back with short, choppy steps. Well, that's slow. That takes a lot longer than two leaps or two long steps. But it's something you have to practice, and it's not that difficult. I mean, once you get the feel of it. But to me, if you go back and just, you know, your head's down, you go back, choppy steps, now it's a wild throw. you got to spin all the way around, maybe you make second base. 
Where if this way, if you cross over, then hit with your left foot as your right foot comes back behind you on the right field side of the base, you're ready to go to the next base if it's a wild throw. I like that long strides with short distances and short strides with long distance. I like that. That's uh, right. stealing that again from you. All right. So now with um, we, we were talking, you got into a little bit the first baseman's position, but now first baseman's position, holding a runner on um, during a pickoff attempt. You, you kind of got into it a little bit as you talked about the uh, movement back to the bag, why you would move to the backside. But talk about, you know, as a first baseman now, what's their position, their body position on a pickoff move at first base? Well, his right foot should be against the front side of the base, the home plate side of the base, okay? Um, he, can't, he has to have both feet in fair territory. You can't put one at one time when it was uh, Heath Hernandez, somebody like put one in foul territory because they had a better angle or something. But you got to have both feet in fair territory now. As, as far as I know, I don't think they changed that rule. Now, some first baseman will cheat off the base towards second base a little bit, thinking that they can make a tag as runners come back and tag the runner. But the first the good way to hold a runner on, you put your right foot on the base where you can get a little clearance if the ball's wild, and you catch the ball and you, you bring the ball right down to the base instead of chasing a runner with your, with your glove. Just bring it right down to the base, and that's why you dive back to the back of the base because it usually brings right back to the middle of the base. But, uh, you know, you get both feet. In fair territory, your right foot's on the edge of the base. Maybe, and again, a lot more fielders you see will be moving uh, inside a little bit more so they get the ball before, you know, before the base, so to speak. And they do that just to get more range. They figure the guy's not going to steal. So they, they, they cheat a little bit so they can get a little more range toward toward the hole there. Yeah. I like the, the distinction, too, because I see a lot of mistakes made at the grass. I see at the major league level, too, where when they're, when they're trying to make that tag – they're sweeping that tag at the runner as opposed to putting it back to where he's trying to go, which is that corner of the bag. Which right. you, teach, you teach that. I guess that's the second baseman in me too, just like you were. When you're, when you're taught to receive the ball from the catcher, it's a much quicker uh, movement to the runner if it's a catch and a drop right to the spot as opposed to going to reach for it and swinging your arm back in a sweeping motion. I know you, you want to get it in and get it out, but I think it's simple as you're describing. You, you drop it in and bring it up. What, what what side of the glove do you tag the runner with? Well, you catch the ball in your palm. I mean, in your, in your web, especially at second base. But, you know, we used to practice tagging. A lot of teams don't do that. We used to practice tagging. When I was with Kansas City as the infield coach, and David Howard was the best tagger I've ever seen. David Howard was a utility guy, but he ended up playing quite a bit of shortstop, great athlete. And at second, like that, when the ball hops, you know, good taggers would stay above the hop and bring it, catch and bring it down, whereas other guys would catch it on the way up so now they can't tag the runner out. So you got to practice that though, because it's not how you feel the ground ball. It's just the opposite in the base in a way, because you can start up top and bring it down. But at first base. Describe that again. Say that again, Bob. I'm sorry. Okay. The ball hops. Yep. Catch those one hop throw to second. Okay. So instead of staying down like you would on a ground ball and, and catch on the way up, you try to get your glove higher and catch the hop on the way down. So as you catch it, you can bring it right down to the base. I like that. It takes a while, but again, you got to practice that. And it takes a while to do it, but a quick tag is most important. Slow taggers, you know, guys beat that. It, believe it or not, I mean, it's not a whole lot of difference in time-wise, but it's enough difference being between out and safe. So the good taggers would start up top and come down and catch the ball. I mean, of course, the most important thing is second base to keep the ball in front of you rather than let it go to the outfield. But good taggers can do that. And the second base shortstop, you're always catching your web, make your tag. First base, your web is probably your whole glove anyway. But you just take it down, and 
Yeah, when you make a tag, you want to tag with the back of your hand so that if the runner hits your arm, your, your hand bends, your elbow bends. Now, if you tag it with your palm of your hand facing the runner, when he hits it, you could pop it out of your glove. He hits your lower arm or, you know, like your, you know, above your palm, you can pop the ball out of your glove. So always tag with the back of the glove with the ball in a web. And uh, in the old days, you just, you just swipe, the, uh, swipe the tag down, come up, throw the ball around the infield. And the umpire couldn't tell if you tagged him. And I just called him out because the ball beat him. Now with replay and everything in the big leagues, you got to keep the tag on him. You got to keep it down there. And you bounce off by, by an inch. You tag him, he's out, which is stupid, but that's that's the rule, and it shouldn't be that way. I mean, to me, if he beats the ball, he should be safe. The ball beats him, he should be out, unless he's obviously misses the base or obviously misses the tag. And that that was kind of the distinction I was getting after that that top side of the glove, as opposed to the open open side. I see kids do that all the time. Yeah, and the ball, like you said, it gets kicked out because you're you're uh, again you're vulnerable in that spot. Right. Well, your yeah. elbow will bend. If you do it the backside of your glove, your elbow will bend and absorb the shock from the runner. Where if it's, you know, face up, it doesn't bend. It just could pop out of your hand. Your yeah. Glove. Or your elbow pops out of your skin because it yeah. doesn't in that way. Right. Kind of like the catcher's leg. Okay. So next, uh, we, we're venturing around, we're venturing around the bases here. We got, so this is a base running question here. Uh, so I guess, and I clarified this with the question asker. They were assuming runners on second and third here. So a runner on third scores. Right. It's a base, it's a base hit. Runner on third is definitely going to score. And you assume the runner on second is coming around the score too. As that first runner, so you're the runner on third, that first runner, what's your responsibility to the runner scoring behind you? Well, once you score and there's another runner behind you, you're a base coach. you got to get in a position where you can tell them to slide left, right, or stand up. And uh, But, you know, it's very important that you, you stay there and you help the runner decide or let him know how he should slide. Now, if there's no other runners on, not an on-deck circle guy has got to come up and be the coach. But someone should always direct the runner coming around third or trying to score to slide left, right, or stay up. Where do they, where do, they do that from? Where, where would their position be on the field? Well, probably they can't get too close. And probably around where the grass meets the dirt, somewhere around there, what, 10, 15 feet away. Just so that he can, the runner can see you. And, you know, you can, you know, once the third base coach, you know, you go by the third base coach, you're like on your own. So now you need a coach at home plate and that's the runner who's come around or else on deck circle man. Yeah. And again, that's a lost thing as well. I don't see that much in the bigs. I, I don't see it at the grassroots level. In fact, when we, we talked before the show about the program that we, we started, we had accumulated a lot of kids who had played quote unquote travel baseball for a decade and we, we were appalled at the, the number of things that they didn't know coming in. But that was one of the things I got a strange look at during the game. I said, because uh, we had covered it, and this was a new kid on the team. I said, make sure you're responsible for that runner scoring. Help him out. And then uh, looked at me like I just asked him to the square root of, you know, 174. And so <laughs> I told him, so I said, Tanner, you better educate him because we're about to score a run. You got about five seconds to tutor him and what we're doing. So, um, so you know, my son Tanner ended up taking that role. He jumped in front of him and, and took <laughs> Um, well, it's all about anticipation. I mean, you know, as a good baseball player, the instincts, you know, how can you help a team win? Well, if you're on deck, you got to be a coach at home plate, and you got to anticipate that before it happens and be out there to help the guy. And, uh, and the hand the hand motions stay the same. Obviously, you can't wave anybody around at that point. It's all over. But, yeah. you, know, how to, you know, sliding, you got the, the hands going in directions, two hands in the directions they, that you want them to slide in. And, um, you know, of course, you're, you're not going to – I guess that's your main thing, right? 
uh, yeah, slide. just wave them down to the right, wave them down to the left. I mean, it depends on where the catcher is, but uh, you basically tell them to slide because it's going to be a close play. So you got to let them know, and then he's got to decide. I mean, you can wave them left or right, but basically it's going to be toward the outfield. I mean, toward the dugout side rather than the infield side. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Um, with that, I think we, we covered that question for them. Now we've got, we're going back to a batted, uh, a batted ball. And question asker wants to know, and again, I, I, we, we, we understood a little bit more just how, how uh, neglected base running is when we took this team over. But uh, how, how do you make a proper turn at first base? Uh, what, what's, your, as your, what's your navigational tool as you're coming down the line? And I know some of it has to do with the first base coach. And then as you're making that turn, what's your body position? How far out do you go? What's the rule of thumb? All right. Well, when you hit a, hit a ball to the outfield, you got to think double right away. <clears throat> hit a ball in the alley, you got to think triple. The only way you make a double is from home to first. You just jog to first. You're not going to make a double unless it's really you know, a little farther. But you're, you're in there as you're going to make a double. So once you, once you know it's body and, body and field, you get into a little arc. And I don't mean that they call it the question mark arc, where you go down straight and question out. No, you start your arc sooner. So it's just like going from first to third, the arc around the base is the same arc before the base is after the base. <clears throat> so you have to get yourself, figure out where it's going to be and start angling out, touch the base with the inside corner with either foot. Some people say left foot. Well, whatever foot comes up, left foot might be easier or more is better because you can flip around with your right foot and get back into the arc again. But I wouldn't, change your stride to make sure you hit with the right foot. But normally you can tell from experience, you know, once you get into the angle, the angle out and you go. Now the first base coach, all they can do is tell you to take a turn. In other words, the ball's through the infield, but you probably see that most of the time. But if there's a ball like an error, that's where the first base coach comes in. That's why he positions up deeper in the box so that, you know, he can redirect you before you get to first base. But you know, when it's a single, you think double, you go to first, angle out, and get into the arc, touch the base, the inside corner of the base, not the outside part of the base, because I flipped you out to the outfield. Touch the inside corner of the base and get back into the arc on the way to second base. <clears throat> now you run hard, and the rule is the farther the ball is away from you, left field, the farther as you go from first base. So you can go farther away from first when the ball's hit the left. The ball's hit the right, you can't go that far away. You might get picked off, you know, you might throw behind you. So you watch the ball, you take that arc, and whether you know the farther you go, think second base all the time. Casey bobbles it. Okay, once he secures the ball, you got to stop. And the way you stop is like an ice skater. In other words, you stop with your feet facing the infield, and you you know push against your you know right foot to stop it, and then you get back to first base. Now I remember I was talking in my first year in baseball. We had a bunch of Latin kids. I'm going over how you're supposed to stop. You stop like an ice skater. And I look around and I said, these guys never ice skated. <laughs> They're from Dominican and down there and everything. But kids looked at me like I was crazy. But then I told them what the ice skater stops, you know, with his, you know, you know what I, how I'm talking about what ice skater stops with, you know. Ten toes to the infield, right? What's that? Ten toes to the infield. Yeah, right. Okay. I mean, a lot of guys will stop with their feet facing the, the ball. Well, you can't really stop real, real, real you know, it's not – a very balanced way to do it. And you got to, you know, you fall over or whatever. You might just, you know, whatever. But the best way to stop with your feet sideways. And then, then you get back to the base. If you're getting back to the base, you should keep your eye on the ball. Because if the guy bobbles it, say he goes to throw and he drops it, 
you might be able to go to second base. Don't depend on a, on a coach in that situation to tell you what to do. Just get back. And if swinging a close play, of course, you got to hustle back. But normally it's just we, you know, jog back, watching the ball in case there's a fumble or something like that. Then you can retreat and go back to second base or go to second base. But the whole thing is you got to think double when you hit a single. You got to think the ball's in the alley, think triple all the way. Because you make a triple, you make a double on your first start running on the bases. Yeah. So I, I think that's something for the kids. Uh, the ice skater thing, I know that didn't work for the, the Latin players, but uh, you found a way. Yeah, they figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> you got to take them ice skating then to figure yeah. that out. And then they'll figure out how they stop. Uh, but so 10 toes to the infield grass. I, I had I had a, a different uh, <laughs> way that was shown to me at one time. And I tried it. It felt okay because I was also a college basketball player. So it was almost like a closeout. But when I came around first base hard, I would have the left foot pointed towards the infield grass and my right foot pointed toward the direction I wanted to go. That's similar to a basketball closer, almost like a boxer would. Yeah. Uh, out. It's And I, when I say that only because I caution kids, it's that basketball footwork is opposite of baseball footwork as is boxing. So unless you have that background, if you do and it's comfortable, try. But the way you're describing it is the way it should be done. Um, from a fundamental standpoint. So just in case somebody sees me out there messing around with the kids and they see me point my right foot at second base, like, geez, this guy runs a show with Bob and doesn't even pay attention to him. <laughs> well, you know what? A lot of times I take, I do a pop-up slide. I go, go around, I just do a pop-up slide and get back to the base because that stopped you quicker than, you know, stopping without a slide. So just do it, you know, bent leg pop-up slide and you get back quicker. That's when I knew I was in trouble. That's how I do. Yeah. I've, seen, I've seen other people do that. That's a good technique. I like that. I like it. Well, okay. So next question we got, and again, this is probably an insult to a hitter, but we, we don't see it anymore really, but we saw it. I think uh, the kid uh, Cruz did it with Cincinnati recently, but audience member wanted to know what is the proper technique for stealing home? And of course, when you're stealing home, you got to know situation, you know, out score, the pitcher has to be um, doing certain things on the mound that you detect. Uh, maybe there's uh a certain batter up that you don't have confidence putting the ball in play. Something that you detected as a base runner, base coach that indicates, okay, time to steal home. It's not a normal thing. You don't see it a lot, but uh, what would be your techniques for stealing home? Well, first of all, you never do it with two strikes because that might be dangerous because I hit him my head and he has to swing with two strikes. So it's a strike. <clears throat> but basically you're taking advantage of a careless pitcher. And usually a left-handed pitcher is easier to steal home when it goes into a windup. And uh, the technique is, if you're going to steal home, um, there's no way you can tell the hitter because, you know, it's a, it's a sneak attack at the end, basically. But the hitter will see you coming, so he'll probably get out of the way or not swing anyway. But with two strikes, you can't think he's not going to swing because he might swing just to, you know, because he's going to get called out on strikes. But anyway, the technique is to just start walking, get your walking lead, and as soon as the pitcher goes into a windup, you sprint home. And a lot of times, especially lefty, they do not see you going because they're not facing that way. Now, right, he can see out of the corner of his eye because he's facing toward third base. But for a pitcher, the technique they should use to defend against his, uh, stealing home is that before he goes into his windup, he has to peek over there and take a look at the third base runner. And if third base runner has got a normal lead or a short lead, he can pitch. But if he sees him starting to creep, then he better step off. But the steal home, I, had, I did it one time in the minor leagues. With Brian Butterfield, and I had Victor Mata was a hitter, 
good hitter, but the pitcher was careless. You could see that this might work. So I called Victor down. I said, Victor, next pitch, he's going to steal home. And he didn't understand too much English, so I'm kind of saying it pretty loud. And as I'm walking back, I said, you know, I think the catcher might have hurt me. So I said, oh, Butter, you're going anyway. Well, Butterfield was not fast, but he was quick, and he was smart, and he did it perfectly. And, of course, he was successful. And Victor saw him coming. He just like, kind of stepped out of the way a little bit, but Butterfield already had the base stolen. But he started with a walking lead, started with a pretty good lead, get a walking lead. Once the pitcher starts into his delivery, he sprint home. And that's the way you do it. Now, another way, probably easier way, is we used to do it with first and third with a left-handed pitcher. We had the guy we called the force balk. So the left-handed pitcher comes up. And as soon as he you know, comes to a st- uh, stop, we had the guy in first take off. If he took off, a lot of times the pitcher would throw the first. And when he threw the first before that, uh, the, pitch, the runner on third would take off and go and score at home. But it only is going to work. It would only work stealing home if you got a pitcher that is distracted or not really know what the hell he's doing. Because it should never work if the pitcher is alert and prevents it from happening. Yeah. And I, I think the question was, yeah, and I, I'm glad you got into the first and third too, because there's multiple ways to steal home. And uh, it's a it's a dangerous play, obviously, if the batter's not aware of what's going on, because God forbid he'd take a full cut. But yeah. uh, it's uh, you know it's something that we've employed. Another, another technique that we've employed, and, and maybe you can talk to this, when the pitcher receives the ball back from the catcher, and you talked about general awareness, that exchange back from catcher to pitcher, um, you don't see a lot. But when you get that that lazy catcher that – kind of is that same looping pattern, doesn't snap the ball back to the pitcher, which as a pitcher, I would be pissed off right away if they're not getting it back to me quickly. And then you get the pitcher that turns his back to the runner um, at third base, if, if you follow what I'm saying. Yeah. Th- those are some indicators that, that we take a look at sometimes. Again, we I'd much prefer a, a confidence in the batter that they can put the ball in play and that we can score a run that way. But uh, do you see that often or have you seen that before where – Lazy catcher throwing back. Um, and the other thing, too, is middle infielders pinching behind the pitcher um, during that in case there's a lazy throwback and the ball gets by. Are those, yeah. those, are, those are indicators, too, maybe that, that our audience can grab onto in other ways to steal home, other than the old Jackie Robinson way, right? Well, that was a way that we used to steal home in Little League because only 40 or 60 feet. But in, you know, in Major League Baseball or you know, high school, you know, 90-foot bases, it's tough to do it that way. But, again – if you see a catcher lobbing it back, I mean, some of those guys had a yips. We had a catcher in the big leagues had a yips. Yeah. I mean, he, he like, uh, well, he, he would lob it back. If he threw hard a second, he could throw. But if he had to get a pitcher, he, a lot of times he'd throw it wild. So those are the kind of guys you could take advantage of. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, we got two, two more questions for you here. One is, uh, I guess when we're at third base, let's stay there. What, what is the proper technique to take a lead at third base? Um, you know, a little different than the other bases uh, because you're, you know, you're 90 feet from scoring right now. You want to take a little bit more caution with what you're doing, unless you're going to steal home, which again is not as often as guys steal second base. But um, what is your technique and, and what's your talk to your runner at third base on how to take a lead at third? Well, first of all, you have to lead off and follow territory. So if a hitter hits a bullet down and hits you. If you're in foul territory, it's just a foul ball. If you're in fair territory, you're out. So you have to lead off and follow territory. And depending on the situation, you know, if there's one out, infield in, you're going on contact, it's going to be a little more aggressive lead. But the thing is there, you just want to get a decent lead so you can score in a pass ball, wild pitch, and be leaning toward home plate as the ball gets to home plate. You're better off with a shorter lead and leaning toward home than a bigger lead and, lean, and going back to third. 
And again, the, the third base coach is your eyes. I mean, he's got his eyes on the third baseman. The third baseman sneaks in before the ball's delivered. You know he's probably going to pick you off. So third base coach got to alert you. And other than that, you got to take it. You know, get an aggressive lead where you can score on a wild pitch, short pass ball, or whatever. And uh, you know, the worst thing is to get picked off at third base. I mean, good catchers will try to pick off a third with less than two outs. And that's to me, that's the third base coach's fault as much as the runners' fault. So the third base coach got to position himself even with the base, maybe behind the base, and keep your eye on the third baseman because. For him to pick you off, he's got to leave before the ball is actually pitched and, you know, sneak in there. So once you see that happen, you got to alert the base runner so he can, you know, shut down his lead and be ready to get back. And when you get back, you always come back in fair territory so that if you hit by the ball, third baseman can't catch it and might hurt a little bit, but you're going to be safe. <laughs> it's better. <laughs> that hurts more if you're out, believe me. Yeah, right. <laughs> the, uh, so I those two key distinctions. I love the, uh, st- you know, starting in foul territory, returning in fair territory. And then uh, one of my pet peeves is the uh, when a line drive is hit, the reaction of the runner on a line drive. Any any communication to the third base runner on a line drive? Well, that's what you tell the third base. As soon as you get to third, you say, you know, less than two outs. Any ball in the air, line drive, get back to third. And then you can adjust off of that. But the worst thing is for a guy to go partway, often make a shoestring catch, and you can't tag up and get home in time. I saw it happen the other day at second base. The runner, you know, it was like one out. And you're on second base with one out. Your, your idea is to score. Well, he went partway and he went back and tagged up, and the ball fell and he couldn't score. And just like with no outs, your idea is to tag up a second so you can get to third with one out and score on another out. But you yeah. can't go partway with nobody out and then not be able to make third if he catches it. Same thing at third. As soon as the ball's hit in the outfield or in the field or line drive, pop up. Well, not so much pop up because you get back anyway, but. Any kind of fly ball, don't assume the guy, the guy is going to uh, miss the ball. you got to assume you get back and tag. If the ball falls in there, you can still score. But if you don't tag and you're 10 feet down the line, he makes a shoestring catch, you might not be able to get back in time to tag up and score. So that's just, you know, anticipation again. You know, think what's going to happen, what you're supposed to do. And, again, a third-base coach, first thing he tells him, tag up on a line driver fly ball. Yeah. I think, you know, for our audience members, if, you know, hopefully you got a pad and pencil by while while we're doing this show, but a lot of this stuff can get worked out during uh, batting practice. As you're talking about this, I'm thinking visualizing our batting practice where every day, at least one of the situations is runner on second, no outs, runner on second, one out. And that way they understand when it's time to, to at least cheat halfway. And even if you got to go back and tag, if you read the tag, that's fine. Or your instinct is to, to tag right away. We also work two O counts so the, the hitters understand, hey, my job now is to, to get something out in front of the plate and score this run or get something into the outfield gaps or with two strikes. I should say two, O2 two count in the next one where, hey, O2 now, runner on second, uh, you know, no outs. We're spreading out. We're looking to move that ball to the right side. That's our job uh, to get them over. So, all, yeah, all this stuff, If as you write them down, we're trying to put them into categories for you. Put them into these little segments as we're asking them, and it'll help you run better practices and and better teachings for the kids here. Okay, I got one more for you, Bob. I know we're closing in on 50 minutes here, and I'm uh, keeping you overtime today. But uh, I got asked about the fake steal, and I tried to clarify, didn't get a response back, but I'm assuming it's from first base where you have that false steal. Um, yeah. How do you teach it? Why, why would somebody do something? Like well, that? you know, I used to use that a lot, and uh, I had a sign for that. If I put the indicator on in a steal, that was a steal sign. But if I did it without the indicator, I was rub it up and down my arm. That's a fake steal. In other words, what you do, you look like you're going to steal. You cross over and take a couple steps. 
it makes the infielders move. And you find out who's going to cover number one. Sometimes you find out no one's going to cover. And sometimes, you know, in case of hit and runs on or you, know, you try to put a hit and run on, you know who's going to cover the base. Now, in hit and run, I don't believe in a guy trying to carve the ball to right field. I just believe the guy should drive, drive the ball on the ground. But if you see who's going to cover, it kind of helps the situation a little bit. And the big thing is it takes an infield out of position when you fake a steal. In other words, he's crossing over to go into the base and takes a lot of range away from him. But I use that a lot with certain runners in certain situations, and uh, I think it's very effective. But you have to have a sign for it. And the sign I did was my steel sign without an indicator and go up and down two or three times my arm. And, uh, you know, once you see the infielders moving, you got a better chance for a hit, and sometimes they're have a tough time making a double play because they can't get to the ball. It's a routine ground ball. Yeah. So I think it's very important. Uh, I think it's a pretty good technique or pretty good, uh, you know, weapon for the offensive team. I like that. I haven't, I have not used that a lot. Um, but I, I think it's a good precursor into the hit and run, but also maybe the delayed steal. If you see a lazy infield, a uh, lazy middle, not moving uh, right. possibility. So, yeah, I, I and I like the the you know what do you, what's your instruction to the hitter though on a, on a fake steal that they take do they is it normal at bat normal no pitch? they're just a normal bat they don't you know don't even like in a steal I just want the hitter to do what he has to do yeah you know if hit and run you got to hit the ball or swing anyway hopefully hit the ball but the hitters independent from the base runners for me uh, and again I don't think that you should try to carve the ball here or there I think you know with a runner on first you know lesser hitters guys who aren't power guys should look for a ball where you can hit it through the hole first and second base hole. But the other than that, uh, the hitter's on his own. I mean, he has to swing or take whatever he wants to do. But I don't believe in saying you have to protect the runner. Uh, some hitters are good at that. They'll swing late, which screws the catcher up. But uh, I want the hitter to be a hitter, and I want the baseman to do what he has to do, and then it'll all come together eventually. Yeah, so you treat the steal more like a run and hit, um, where yeah. something to hit. I, I like that. Well, yeah, what- but you don't have to see it. But don't, if he steals, you don't have to protect him. Uh, the big thing is what you don't want to do. If a guy gets a hell of a jump, it's not going to be a throw. Don't swing and follow it off. <laughs> yeah, right. That's it. You got to be smart with that. You got to have right. uh, good common sense. The so I, I I always like to give you credit for things. First and third situation, I used your bunt the other day uh, in the game. Bunted it at the first baseman. I loved it because uh, yeah. it's your favorite. First and third, bunt down first base uh, causes because they got to hold a runner on. They've got to move into position. Now they got to feel the ball. Um, and we treated it like a, almost like a safety squeeze. Yeah, that's Don Zimmer. Don, I can't take credit. That's Don Zimmer's play. And then, uh, of course, uh, Joe Madden used it quite a bit. And well, uh, I, I took total credit for it this weekend. Okay, well, that's good. They didn't make you feel smart. <laughs> but but it's, it's a great play. I mean, it's a safety squeeze. But yeah. what you do is when a pitcher feels the ball going t- toward first, a right-handed pitcher especially, he's not going to be able to throw home. Yeah. A lot of times you end up with a run scored and a guy in first. <clears throat> No, I gave I gave you credit for it. I'm teasing. The umpire had asked, "Boy, that was a lot of action going on there." What was the thoughts? <laughs> you got to listen to our show more. You'll you'll figure out my strategies. My I'm one show behind every game right here. So anybody yeah. that's playing us, uh, we're done for the season. But next season, they just got to listen to the show before. I always steal one thing from the show and try it out because it's uh, <laughs> it's fun. Because then you get to see if it fits into the kids and the style. And you know, you don't learn something. And that's my advice to the audience: you don't learn something until you you take the techniques <laughs> like you're showing here, Bob. And Try it your way. Try it Bob's way. Try it your way. And then see if it fits into your, your kid's age group and the style. If it doesn't, put it in your pocket. Save it for later. But a lot of good stuff on here. So as I joke with you all the time, as long as you got an audience of one, which is me, 
I'm loving it. But we have 50,000 subscribers listening and ton, tons of questions like we saw today. So anything else on your mind with baseball? I mean, anything you saw this well, week? One thing I think as a coach, I mean, every day I used to have a little meeting and go over what we did the day before. Good things, bad things, reward guys for those days breaking up double plays, stuff like that. And we talk about stuff. You know, we talk about, I talk about why I put this player, you know, why I put this sign or that sign. So you understand. I mean, make a, getting signs is most important. And the only ones that miss signs are guys who aren't anticipating what a sign might be. But I sit them in a dugout or maybe in a clubhouse, you know, an amateur ball, I might put them in a dugout. Just sit there and explain to them some of the stuff we talked about today. You know, making a turn at first base, how to do it. And, you know, why you want to do it that way, or, you know, and stuff like that. How to return to first base. And you know, they demonstrate also. But, but if you talk to them almost every day about what happened the day before, and then you can eliminate a lot of mistakes because – Mistakes happen because you don't anticipate, you know, you don't know what you're trying to do or you don't know what's going to happen. And uh, like I said, smart players win games. Guys who aren't baseball smart, they help you lose a game because their stupidity comes out when it's not really on the line. But yeah. sometimes it's not their fault because they're not properly prepared. So I think the coach is going to be a teacher first. And when you tell them something, tell them why. You know, why should you do it this way? And this is why we do it that way. And just like a fake steal. What are you doing that for? Well, we want to make the infielders move. You know, find out who's covering. And sometimes, like we're first and third, no one moves. That means they're not going to throw through. So just little things like that that you can get an advantage over the defensive team if you do stuff like that. No, and I, I like the closure, too. You After games, you're getting the guys closure on good things that happen, but also mistakes that happen. Right. And I think of a phrase, and I'm, I'm guessing you would agree with this, but – our audience for the coaches out there, what I see a lot of is, you know, there's wins. Coaches get super excited and they forget all the things that went bad. And if you lose, everything's terrible. My message to the audience with the, the coaches out there is don't accept in victory what you wouldn't accept in defeat. So game's over. Feel good if you won. Feel bad if you lost. But the mistakes, the, the positives and negatives are still the positives and negatives. So you got to deal with those independently. I think your method is good because it's the day after a little less emotion about it, and you get some closure on things, and that's when teaching happens. Well, you got to let the players know, too. If you say, talk to somebody and tell them how they screwed up or did something wrong, you're doing it for the benefit of the other guys. In other words, the other guys can learn from your mistake. That's what you can learn. But you're not kind of like burying somebody. You just explain it to them. And, but then, again, you got to come up with something positive, too. In other words, this guy, he tagged up in a great situation, tagged up on a ball down a right field line and got to third base. Or stuff like that. But, you know, look at the positives. Then you can look at the negatives. But the basic, the whole reason is to make them a better player. And sometimes you can learn from someone else's mistake as well as they learn from that mistake. Absolutely. And I think that's a great way to, to close the show here today. And you know, we got playoff time coming up here and encourage more and more questions here for Bobby's. We can handle them all. I, I, I'm challenging our audience to challenge him. I want to get a note back to say I got to look something up. I, I, I'd love to see that question. But, um, with our audience, 50,000-plus subscribers, thanks so much. And on the newest podcast stream on iHeartRadio, uh, 74 countries, grassroots MLB front offices. Episode 280. Can't believe we're up to 280 already on our network here, Bob. And, but thanks so much for what you contribute to this show here and uh, to the network here. Great show today, Bob. Well, thank you. I enjoyed talking baseball. Yep. And um, we'll start our offseason push once the playoffs start. But uh, that doesn't start for us from learning the fundamentals. So. Uh, again, thanks for a great show. We'll look forward to talking to you guys next week.